This is the first episode of Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell. And I've recorded this intro a few times. And I, what I've realized in, in re-recording and recording <clears throat> is that I have a lot to say about this <laughs> subject that I'm starting the podcast about. But maybe I don't need to say it all in the introduction. Um, what is this? This is going to be about women, art, and the South. I'm a woman. I'm an artist. I'm a Southerner. Uh, so that's why I got a lot to say on this subject. And to me, this intersect of these three things is interesting and I think uh, ripe for discussion. So what is Peachy Keen? Well, peachy because we're in the peach state. I'm here in Athens, Georgia. I like it that usually when you hear it, it's maybe sarcastic. So uh, how's it going? Oh, Peach Keen. Or could be genuine happiness. You having a great day? It's pe- Everything's peachy keen, man. It's going good. So there's that kind of duality in the way that you hear the phrase, which is interesting to me. But it's the keen part that I really like the word keen. It's, it sounds smart. It sounds like we're going to investigate something. And I hope we will. I'm going to talk to ladies about art and in the South, either uh, ladies that are currently here or that living in the South has had a big influence on who they are. The first episode is an interview with Tatiana Veneruso, artist, curator, and general badass woman about town. It was recorded on the last day of February, very beautiful and warm day, sitting on the floor of what will soon be the Trio Gallery. Upstairs from the new Pixel and Ink studio that's going to be opening on Broad Street, Tatiana and the ladies from Pixel and Ink are going in on this exciting venture together to open up the Trio Gallery. And we'll walk through the whole space later in the interview, so stay tuned for that. First, we chat about some of the experiences that led Tatiana to want to open her own gallery, her childhood, SCAD, jobs in and out of the arts, her current artistic practice, and some other fun stuff like one-shot paints, the not-so-feminist practice of moving to Athens to be with a boy, and the cultural significance and deep philosophical meaning behind the Golden Girls. going to be able to edit this despite the fact that I came in here and displayed no audio skills whatsoever hey. and you have no trust I I have we're been all, practicing we're all students of life okay <laughs> students of life all students of life okay so I did some I did some googling google away and I'm going to do I'm going to start with your childhood okay <laughs> <laughs> So the first thing I noticed when I looked at your website is that you were born in Connecticut. I'm a Yankee. And raised in Florida. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and you I'm specifically said yeah. Florida raised. Like yeah. that was a that like, was a thing. It to- Florida is its own creature. Even within Florida, there's like there's different Floridas, you know. And North where Florida, in Florida were I'm you? a South Florida okay. girl. So um, you know, South Florida, a lot of immigrants. Um, my mom was a housekeeper, you know, so she 
cleaned rich people's houses. So what was she doing in Connecticut before? um, She was actually, she was an interior designer um, prior. And then when we moved to Florida, um, she got a job as a housekeeper, just as something to do something um, while she found something else. And then was like, you know, people in Florida will pay people to do everything for them shop for them clean like you know she'd say if if you had a a butt wiping business you know you'd make a fortune because if someone could pay someone else to do it they would so she ended up going into business for herself and that's what she did she had a house cleaning business for the next you know until until she passed away uh, about Almost seven years ago now. Oh, sorry. Yeah, heart attack. So it was just you and your mom? Just me and my mom. And so she, how how old were you when you guys made that move to Florida? I was about 10, Okay, so you remember Connecticut. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And where um, were you in Connecticut? We were in uh, Milford, Connecticut. Milford. Which, uh, so, uh, what's that? Stratford County. Um, so beach, we live near the beach. Uh, my grandparents had a boat, very nautical, nautical themed childhood, oh you gosh, know, yeah. and then, um, my grandparents moved to Florida in the mid eighties. And so that's kind of why we made the move there. And what was the town of Florida again? Did you uh, tell West Palm beach, Florida? Oh, West Palm beach. Yeah. So you're like 10, I'm imagining like 10 year old Tatiana yeah. with your mom, mm-hmm. who's this interior designer. Is she a fabulous, was she fabulous? Like with her? She was everything. My, my mom's well. My mom and I, I guess, were, were like we're a, we're a practical fabulous. Okay. You know, like some people would say we're fabulous, and we just we're just doing it. <laughs> you know, we don't really think of ourselves as being that that fabulous. We're too busy drudging through everything. Um, but uh, so yeah, she's she was a cool lady, smart lady. So I happened to move about that same age when I was nine years old. Yeah. So I have an idea of what that must have been like. For me, it was traumatic. It was totally traumatic. I mean, especially such a... Going from from Connecticut to Florida, like, I mean, I was like a creature from another planet, I felt like, you know. And your accent, did the kids make fun of you? Did you have an accent? I mean, Connecticut doesn't really have too much of an accent, but I've, I've had people say that I have a... That I sound northern. Southern people say I sound northern. Northern people say I sound southern. I get that too mm-hmm. when I move around. But I had that. I, I moved from Tennessee to Georgia, and it was seemingly there wouldn't be very much cultural difference. But I still got made fun of for yeah. my accent. That's, that's, that's crazy. That's <laughs> it crazy, is weird. But, it doesn't but I also me. had a super strong like Tennessee. Okay. I said pinch instead of pinch. Like don't pinch me, and the kids <laughs> would like. Okay. Peach me, so I would say, "Don't peach me." Wow, uh, yeah. I probably would have made fun. Yeah, yeah. I had to. Correct, I had to correct for that. Um, yeah. So, what was your what was your school like, and what was West Palm Beach like for you at that age when you moved? Well, I remember the strangest thing was that the hallways were all open air, and I thought that was so strange. Like they were open, like they were outside. There was no just, ceiling. Like, it was like a covered. No, it was covered. Oh, but it was but like, like no. So all the hallways in between the classes were all open. So it was like a and museum every, yeah. where you put sculptures out there. Yeah, yeah, it was just like these weird little grassy blocks and every. And I was like, this school is so weird. And it there were weird. a lot of portables. It was just it was really overcrowded. All the schools in Florida are overcrowded. They grow 
exponentially to their ability to accommodate all the students. Um, that's forever a problem there still. Um, but yeah, it was just so strange to me. But, you know, I, I adapted and got used to it. So you grew up and it. you went, did you go all the way through high school in West Palm Beach? Um, I went to, I lived in West Palm Beach the whole time. I went to high school in Delray Beach. I was in, uh, you know, I went to a charter school for um, the International Baccalaureate Program when I was oh. in high school. So I did AP and IB and yeah it was it was a lot it was a lot of work for so you mentioned that people think of florida as like its own universe within the south um yeah it's like not even really part of the south you know maybe northern florida is more southern and then south florida is so you so there were people from all over at your school yeah huge yeah huge um you know Latino population and, um, you know, Haitian, you know, Caribbean, you know, I had a lot of friends from Jamaican, Trinidadian, uh, just from all over Cuba, you know, Cuban, Dominican, um, Central American, South American. So definitely more diverse than than Connecticut, than the little town in Connecticut I was from. Interesting. Yeah. So I see that you went to SCAD. I did. And I'm trying to imagine, like, you in high school making that decision yeah. to go to SCAD. Like, what were you, what were you thinking at that point? Like, you what in, when you were in high school? Well, you know, like like most young brooding artist types, I wanted to go to New York. That's where I wanted to go. And I thought I was going to go to New York, like, my whole life and go to school there. That was just kind of, you know, uh, the thing in the back of my mind. Uh, I'm just like, of course, I'm going to go to school in New York, and I'm going to be a New York artist person and do that whole thing. And then I, I don't know, I guess as it got closer, you know, reality set in. I was like, okay, New York's really expensive to live in New York. You know, and I was not a wealthy kid, so I just didn't think I could do it. So I started looking at, you know, potentially some state schools that were closer, that, you know, were a little bit more realistic. And I wasn't jazzed about that, but I was trying not to be dumb about the whole thing. So you knew, you knew this whole time that you wanted to go into art? Yeah. Like, even I, when you were a little kid? Even when I was a little kid, I wanted to be an artist and I liked a lot of I you know I always did well in school uh, maybe not math but science history all that stuff but I just didn't that was art was my interest and I couldn't imagine doing anything else so how was your mom with this was she good with you going to art school like a lot of parents are like no thank you you know (laughs) she she indulged me and sometimes looking back I'm like I wish she had been a little bit more realistic with me because she was just like you can do whatever you want to do if you want to work hard and go for it like I'm gonna support you 100% you know she was always very supportive of my interests um but and she thought I was really talented you know so she didn't think that she had no doubt that I was going to be very successful (coughs) yeah um and I guess that's like you know her own parental 
you know, pride. Because scat is not cheap either. I mean, scat is not cheap either. It is so not cheap. And, you know, if I had to do it all over again, knowing what I know now, I probably would not because I'm going to be paying for scat for the rest of my life. And I noticed, so you don't, you don't have a MFA. Do you have a BFA or a BA? I have a BFA. Okay. A BFA. And you didn't do the MFA thing. No, no, I'm very much, I don't, don't want to do it. Um, having, gone through my BFA. I When did you graduate? 2004. Okay, so you've been out of school for like a decade now. Yeah, over a decade. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I I just, I have no desire to go back. I mean, if I won the lottery tomorrow and just had a lot of disposable income, I might go back to school just to do it. But from a practical standpoint, I just I can't see spending the time, the money, the energy and I know so many people with MFAs that don't do any better than, <laughs> than people with BFAs. And I know that's like, I don't mean any disrespect, you know, because I, I, lo- I love school. You know, I've always yeah. had a love of school. It's just, school's become kind of a racket, you know, for a while. Yeah, I mean, this it's, is, you know, I'm a teacher. Sure. So I'm constant. this is a question that I'm constantly addressing with students. Like, should I get my MFA? That's right. why I'm at, kind of why I'm asking you about right. it. Like. What do you think having not gotten your MFA? And I really think it depends on what your goals are. Like, right. clearly, if you want to be a professor, you need to get sure, an MFA. Absolutely. Um, so, you what were what you had multiple majors at SCAD? I was an illustration major, and okay. I minored in sculpture. Okay, illustration so, and sculpture. So, yeah. how how did that happen? Well, I you know I'm a, I'm a painter primarily. I do a lot of mixed media stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm a painter at heart. And so I wanted to be a painter. Mm-hmm. We all do. We all want to be painters, <laughs> right? So I then it was like, well, I can major in painting. And, you know, a lot of the painting classes were like, paint like the old masters and things like that. I'm like, I don't want to paint like the old masters. So that's what SCAD, you know, I haven't, I've talked to different people about SCAD and I hear all kinds of stuff. It being one of the big art schools in Georgia. It's changed a lot since I was there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I talked to people who were there a few years before me, and it was very different. Um, you know, following I follow them on Instagram now, and just seeing what... It's it's very different. It's so very it was very different. traditional when you were there. If, um, if you were in the painting program, you would say. Like, I would say that arguably the... the I mean, I, I can't really say now. I don't even know any of the painting professors. But they they do kind of start you with the, you know the traditional painting method. And I mean, once you get through your, your intro classes, you know, it gets a little more experimental and their MFA program is way more, you know, independent study kind of, uh, thing. But I just, I don't know. I didn't want to paint like anybody else. I wanted to paint, you know? Um, but the thing that I liked about illustration was that it seemed to be kind of a practical application for what I wanted to do. I see a, I see a theme here with you. Like, yeah, you're, uh, I don't want across well, as very practical, <laughs> like making all these decisions about what is going to well, be. I ca- yeah. I guess I come from a long line of working women, you know, single mothers mm-hmm. actually through one, you know, from your for one grandma reason or another. Also. My grandma was also, um, a single mom. Well, partially. My grandfather uh, was institutionalized when my mother was really young. Mm. Um, he had some very debilitating mental problems. Um, 
And so there was a, a period of time where she was raising my mom and my aunt by herself. And she worked for, um, she was a school nutritionist. She kind of oversaw the county's school lunch program. Mm -hmm. So she actually had a, a decent job, um, but it wasn't, it was, it was hard to support. And this children. was in Connecticut. This was in Connecticut in uh, the 60s. And, you, and where did she come from, your grandma? Did you say my grandma, immigrant family? Um, her great-grandmother was uh, from Germany. Okay. Or, no, I'm sorry. Her, her grandmother was from Germany. And um, my great-grandmother was from Germany. And then her, her father, she doesn't know a lot about her father's family because he took off when she was born. So my grandmother was raised by a single mom wow. in the Great Depression. <laughs> so this really is like so, four generations yeah, of single moms. Yeah, and, Interesting. And so like, thankfully, I have no children. I'm so glad. <laughs> I have three cats, which is enough. Yeah. Um, but I can't, uh, the single mom thing, like I have enough, uh, it's hard enough with like a full onboard partner. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I have a lot of, so obviously I have a lot of respect for, for single moms in general. So, uh, or single parents, I should say. Um, <clears throat> so where do we get to? We were talking about SCAD oh, and so the SCAD, illustration. So illustration, it was just a matter of like, okay, how am I going to eat, you know, when I'm done right. with all of this? How am I going to pay these loans The practical back? part. Yeah. Yes. So we had to trace that all the way yeah. back to Germany. Yeah. I had to yeah. trace it way back to the old country. <laughs> Old, yeah. yeah, so I, yeah, I have that immigrant practicality for sure. Um, so, but then, you know, I wanted to also, I was very interested in doing like three-dimensional work. And, you know, I still had, my heart was in, in the fine art world. But I was just trying to find a way to make a living. Yeah, which is a big question for artists. To, once you just, you know, once you pick your major, that was like my second year in school. So that's when like the reality of the art world I guess and you're starting to pay those more. you're getting those bills for tuition and right yeah and I'm like this is you know it was a lot it was so much money and I remember being you know obviously apprehensive about because I mean th these were amounts of money that I'd never even seen before right you know yeah, you those get that loan check scary. and then you know you have it in your bank account for like a day and then yeah. you have to write that <laughs> yeah. check and it's like this is so much money and it's almost abstract because, you know, I had been working since I was, you know, 15, 16 years old, part-time things and retail jobs and stuff like that. So, you know, I knew how much money I, I made. Right. And then you <laughs> get these loan checks. So, I, like, you know, I kind of knew what, what taxes were like and things like that. So it really started to kick in like, you know, this is, a, this is an astronomical amount of money. So before we move forward with this career thing i see your little figures that you make yeah and the little wooden they're like the russian stacking dolls kind yeah, of is what they look yeah. like um i've i've done some well i do i do make uh, matryoshka dolls sort of custom uh as kind of and what's the just, deal with that like why did you become interested in those I guess it's well. It's maybe it's because of my Russian heritage. I don't. I don't know. I've always kind of been attracted to them. They're pretty fascinating. They are fascinating. I have um, one in my living room that's from Alaska. Yeah. 
Oh. Actually, the only set that I personally own, because people think I have tons of them because <laughs> I make them, but I don't. Um, but I do have one of the like Russian leaders, oh. which is really, so it's got like Gorbachev and Lenin and stuff. It's fun. So you make them <laughs> by, how do you make these things? I get, I just get the blank ones. I order blank oh, okay. ones. Oh, okay. So you don't them. carve so I don't, them. I don't like hand, hand turn them. I would charge way more for them if <laughs> I did all that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the ones that I saw on your website were like very abstract. They had like big circles yeah well I do and then I do some small kind of standalone ones that are a little more my my style you okay. know a little more geometric and bright colors and and speaking like of that. geometric and bike bright colors bike <laughs> I just slipped that in there your um public art thing that you did yeah. is pretty interesting. so what's the deal with that how did you end up getting hooked up with that I I saw a call from um Atlanta public um the Atlanta Cultural Affairs Commission. Okay. Uh, so they put out a call just, you know, I follow all the, all the art things. And um, I've always been interested in public art. And I've always wanted to have a public art piece. I just thought that would be really cool to have something that everybody would see it. You know, it was just out so there. So this piece has everybody. a function, right? It's it not... does have a function. It's a, um, so they put out a call to make these mural bike racks. So they're bike racks in the shape of a bike. Um, they were actually all, um, you know, handmade by a, a, an Atlanta fabrication house. Made all of them. Made eighteen of them. And um, then they chose eighteen different artists to each paint a rack. So they put out a call just for proposals. They had sort of a template, and you would just lay your design over the shape. And we did that in Athens too, didn't we? With like uh, the, the fire, fire hydrants. hydrants. Yeah, that yeah. was around the same time. Which was funny because I, I did the Atlanta one first and got picked, and so I took that same design and submitted it as a fire hydrant and did not get picked. Yeah. So, you know, you never know about these. Yeah. Things. So um, I thought because I thought it would be cool to have one one there and one there in the same kind of pattern. So I chose this pattern. This very brightly colored pattern that's half ginkgo leaves and half um, shrimp and grits. Mm -hmm. And so it's the yellow ginkgo leaves against a green background and then the pink shrimp against the yellow. And it's the same yellow as the ginkgo leaves. So it kind of. So tapping into our southerner theme. Tapping into the ginkgo is uh, Athens. The ginkgo is Athens, but also Atlanta too. But it's not originally from either of those places. It's an Asian plant tree. Very that, southern. Uh, that came, yeah. So it came over from, from Asia, but has thrived here. And the ginkgo is actually very resistant to diseases and uh, pollution and things, which is why it does well in cities. I did a lot of research. And it's very stinky. Is it? Yeah, they only have, I can't remember if it's the male or the female, but they got rid of one of the sexes because oh, they stink. stink. One of them stinky. Interesting. And I, I thought they had to dig up the ones that were downtown because they had the stinky ones, and then when they replanted them, they planted the non-stinky kind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know enough about the stinky ginkgo. <laughs> that sounds like a really cool band name, though. The, the club. <laughs> you see that band at the stinky ginkgo last night? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, we are in Athens. So you got to think about band names. Right. All the time. Always band names. 
Um, so yeah, the ginkgo, and then, you know, as a not quite southerner, I am a fan of shrimp and grits. And so I just was thinking about things that were southern that I liked. Okay. And I kind of got the idea for this very... The ginkgo tree. Simplified sort of graphic um, <clears throat> pattern with the leaves and the shrimp. So then it got picked and, um, you know, we painted them. They gave us the paints. It was a really cool process. They, um, they paid all the artists for their, for their time and design. Mm-hmm. And then paid for all our supplies that we needed. We got a nice respirator to wear while we used these really stinky sign paints. Oh um, uh, yeah, what kind was, of paints did you use? It was use? like the one shot, the one shot sign, which I had never used before. I was <coughs> so a little stinky bit again. So stinky, <laughs> yeah. Probably wouldn't smell the ginkgo if you had, a, you know, the the cleaner open. I love those paints though. They're like they're really so cool. liquid and drippy. Yeah, but. I really fell in love with them. I was really. I was really nervous about using. I'm not an oil-based person. Right. I'm a water, water-based. You know, acrylics, yeah. gouache. You know, I don't use oils ever. So. Um, I used to, and I love those one shot, but they yeah. are just like they make me high. I can't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could only work for a little while at a time. Even with the respirator, I would kind of get a headache. So um, I did it. I kept it in my shed in the backyard and just would work in there. And then, um, you know, when it was all done, brought it back down to Atlanta in the back of my truck. And, uh, <laughs> and then they installed it. And it's, um, it's on the corner of Peachtree and Ellis by the Ritz-Carlton. And it's got a little plaque with my name. Nice. And I love it. That's and so occasionally awesome. someone on Instagram will take a picture of it and tag me. Yeah. Nice. So you're just living on in, in Midtown Atlanta. Yeah. There's like a part of me. Yeah. Just hanging out there. That's so cool. Yeah. People are putting their bikes on it. <laughs> <laughs> so I brought the figures and the bike. Is there any other kind of personal art stuff that you're working on right now? That's like- um, not so. Yeah. Not so much personal. I, I actually just finished. This is funny. So I was an illustration major and after I graduated, I mostly did graphic design. I've been doing graphic design, freelance, you know, this whole time. Um, the practical. Yeah. And so I never, I don't think I've ever had a paid illustration job until like just recently. I just finished an illustration for the UGA research magazine. And that was a really fun process. It's an illustration of the food chain. Okay. And... Um, like the food pyramid kind of thing? No, or like, like the food, like the, like, food, like the nutrient cycle. Oh, like okay. This animal eats this animal, eats this animal. <laughs> oh, so, I saw that. Yeah, and it had fox, animals yeah, inside of snake, each other. And then the mouse and the bug. Very cute. Yeah. Yeah. So that was actually uh, 12, almost 13 years after I've graduated. Got my first illustration job, paid illustration jobs. <laughs> that, so that worked out. Um, yeah. So. so yeah. So 2004, you're graduating. Yeah. 2014 is when I start seeing you at Athica, right? That's yeah. Your, so yeah. what? How did you end up getting from Savannah to Athens? Okay. So I came to Athens for a boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds very familiar. Yeah, it's you know it's not a very uh, interesting story. Uh, it sounds uh, like it could be interesting. Yeah, I sometimes I don't tell people that. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I just want to change, you know, or something because I'd hate to. Yeah, doesn't feel very feminist. Be like, I followed a boy here. 
Um, but I did. And, uh, he, and it was a Savannah boy. It was, um, ori- he was originally a Savannah boy. He grew up there okay. and was home visiting. And I met him and, you know, we ended up starting this long distance thing because he lived here. And, um, you know, and I would, he would come to Savannah a lot and I would go to Athens a lot. And, you know, I was at the point where I really wanted to change. And I liked it here. It just seemed like there was just so much going on creatively. There was and like, what year was this? This year? was uh, 2005 now. So like okay. a year after I graduated. I was working in a bed and breakfast. In uh, Athens? In, no, in Savannah. Oh, in Savannah. Yeah. Okay. Making good money, you know, uh, a good hourly wage. And I had benefits. And I made a lot of money in tips just mm-hmm. by being uh, a tourist charming, town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was the concierge, and I would like make dinner reservations for people and tell people where to go, and and it was it was kind of fun. But it also, you know, service industry stuff. It burns you out. I mean, I you know, yeah. you get off work and you just go drink until you don't feel anything anymore. Exactly. <laughs> you know? I have done that in Athens yeah. at numerous institutions right, that right, yeah. are here or not here anymore. I think I was here in 2005. I get confused because I've lived here on four different occasions. Yeah. But that, um, so did you start in the service industry when you got here? When I got here, I moved here in 2006. Okay. Um, and I got a job in a hair salon. Hmm. Which one? Uh, downtown. It was, um, well, it was originally Evolution Salon and then it became J. Scott Salon. It oh, got sold. Um, it was on Hall Street. It was in one of those spots that's been like nine different dress shops since then. Were you like, cutting hair? No, I no. was. Um, I was like a receptionist, manager, hair sweeper, <laughs> shit talker. Yeah, yeah. Entertain people. Yeah, it was really fun. But it, yeah, it was like, you know, celebrity gossip. <laughs> you know, uh, just a lot of talking all day. Just talk, 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 talk. But it was fun. We had a lot of great conversations that's fun that's like the service industry here too like you know really you're just hanging out with people you really i mean you're you're working but yeah you're totally hanging out (laughs) at the same time and of course when you have clients in the chairs it's like a revolving door of people to just kind of entertain all day with stories and i always feel super awkward talking when i get my hair cut it's kind of like I don't know. I never know. See, I've had the same. I've had the same stylist for a while, and so I look forward to going and talking to her. You know, we talk oh, so much, so much crap. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's good when you get that relationship. You yeah. know, with your with your stylist, it's, your hair person. It's there's, like a therapist. That's you know? true. <laughs> she knows everything. There's so many good salons in Athens. Right there now. are. There are. Um, my, um, I go see Liz Garrison. She works at Honey's over in the in the warehouses. Yeah, I yeah. go to see Holly at Honey's. Okay, good. Yeah, she's yeah. like an art patron. She is very yeah. uh, encouraging and good. Yeah, they're cool. They're they're art loving chicks over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like them a lot. Um, my friend Joe, that was her salon. She sold it to. Um, Lori and and the girls when she um, she just wanted to get out of the business and now she's making cakes because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you, know, you so, could just do whatever yeah I mean that's how this town is you know everyone's always 
making something. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a maker town. Yeah. So totally. you, you were doing so, yeah, that. You're working at a salon. Working at a salon. Um, I got a couple, uh, corporate graphic design, creative director, artistic director type jobs. Um, in between. Yeah. So I was doing that. And actually the end of 2011 was the Occupy movement. Right. And at the time I was working for this like corporate advertising agency and hating it so Mm -hmm. much. I hated my boss. I was like the only female executive in this like, just this bag of douchebags. It was just really, it was really terrible. And it was so, you know, it, go having to go through that during this whole like kind of anti-corporate right and thing, so you're like the like, enemy. i was really feeling what well, i was feeling it i was feeling what they i was like yeah these people are horrible you know right um and you know so i was definitely feeling the sentiment of that movement and i thought well how can i help you know here i am working you know designing stuff for all these big companies like working on these campaigns for big companies that are just wanting to do all these creepy data mining things and all this like just weird stuff and I was like you know how can I help this movement you know and so I thought oh I'll do an art show so I was still doing art and you know making things and going to art shows and trying to be involved in the art scene Um, but I'd never curated a show before so I didn't know really how to go about that. So that's super interesting to me because yeah, I always, it seems like curators are always artists. Yeah. Almost always. Yeah. And you always wonder what makes them have that leap. And in your case, it's very kind of political. It was, yeah, at the time it was political. And then it kind of, I really, um, I enjoyed it. And I felt like, you know, I've always been, because I'm more a practical person and I'm an organized person and you know, that's kind of the stigma that artists aren't very organized people, even though I know a lot of very organized artists, but yeah, you know, um, so I organize myself and I, I'm, I'm (laughs) very against that kind of idea that artists are slackers. Me too. Because really you have to work super hard to be an artist and be very self-motivated and you have to really be very into self-promotion and be, and be a nice person, right? You know, you have to be likable. I've dealt with difficult artists, and I don't give them shows again. You know, right. I mean, I'm well, not you could lie. move to New York and yeah. survive as a difficult yeah. artist. Sure, yeah, sure, because yeah, um, but yeah, we're in the South. You still have to be nice to people. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we don't like jerks. You can't be a jerk to someone's face. You can yeah, do it, you know, behind their back. Um. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> I have something I want to show you, but I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold on to that for a second. Right on. All right. So you're, um, so yeah, so curating. I, so I, so I have this idea for this show okay. and I had seen a lot of shows at Athica. I knew Athica was kind of the place. If you wanted to do something more politically minded, that would be the place to do it. Not the Linden house or the Georgia museum or something like that. So, um, I didn't really know Lizzie very well at the time. This is back when and this um, Lizzie is, Zuck, Lizzie to what year is this? Uh, this is, uh, 2011. Okay. 2011. So Lizzie is still, she's the founder of Athica. Yeah. And this is her last, uh, at this point it's her last year ish, mm-hmm. um, 
before she retired. And so she'd been there about 10 years at this point. I think yes. she, she was mm-hmm. in charge of the ship for 10 exactly. years. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, so she really done it all, you know, with some volunteers, um, you know, revolving door volunteers, of course. And so I, you know, I just emailed her. I didn't know. I mean, and I didn't know anything about the process of how to, you know, I, well, I knew the process of submitting a proposal and it was all done usually longer in advance, but it was so timely, the show, you know, it was like, this is happening right now and I want to do this right now in, in a year, like it's not going to And what was the theme be, of the show? Um, the, the Occupy okay. movement, just, you know, sort of a anti-corporate, uh, redistribution of wealth type sentiment. So, um, so I approached her with this show and she's like, listen, you know, I don't, we don't have room in our schedule for it. You know, everything's booked long in advance, but I'm totally into this idea. Let's maybe we could figure something out. So I ended up doing the show during the holiday time when the gallery was normally just closed. Oh, cool. So it was kind of this, all right, you can do this, but I'm going on vacation. <laughs> if you know, I'm going to be, uh, you know, on the road with my family. You have to be in charge of the gallery yourself, you know, and if you want gallery hours, like you pick the hours, you have to be there or find volunteers and this is what you got to do. And she basically trained me how to run the gallery and I ran, I ran the place like the, you know, I did this show and I, you know, ran it those like a couple weeks, two, three weeks while it was up and it worked out well because I was off work for a couple weeks over the holidays. So I was able to do, do that and do my job. And, uh, it was just a really cool experience. And, you know, then I went back to my job and the show was over and it was really successful and raised some money for the movement. And, um, it was actually one of the few shows in the country that, you know, there was one in New York and then there was one here and there was one out West somewhere. Um, so, and it got a lot of press, like, you know, I've, even like a couple of years later, found things on blogs, you know, political blogs about the show. And it was really interesting. Um, but so after that, um, the following year when Lizzie retired, she called me up and was like, hey, you know, I'm retiring. You should totally go out for my job, you know, apply <laughs> for it. And I was like, well, I don't really know <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> She's like, but you did such a great job, and I think you could really do do a great job. So, um, so that was really, you know, I, that was awesome. So I did, and of course, this is around the same time that I'm getting laid off from my other job. Right. So it was kind of a weird, serendipitous thing. I ended up not getting the job. My friend Hope Hilton got the job, right. and they invited me to join the board. Okay. And so, explain to our possible listeners here. <laughs> What uh, what does that mean okay. about Athica being on the board? Okay, the board? so if you have a nonprofit organization, you have a board, <clears throat> and a board is uh, a, you know a collection of people that you know from the community that basically meet once a month and run, just make decisions about how the organization is is run. So when Lizzie um, was there for her 10 years, there was no board. No, there right? wasn't. No, there, there was, was a board. There was, there was a board. absolutely a board. Um, the board wasn't very active in, okay. in the operations. Um, around the time that Lizzie's leaving, you know, 
of course, Lizzie was doing a lot for little to no money. Right. Um, you know, her husband worked for the university as a chair, and and so she didn't she didn't need the money to live. She you know not many people could have done that job for that little money and and lived off of it. Right. So um, they were you know that obviously the concern was finding someone that was going to be able to dedicate their time. And but what could they pay them? And so then it became like, okay, well, this is going to be more of a part-time job because we're paying part-time money. So the board has to be more more active. Um, and so they were trying to get really good board members that were really motivated to help out with things. And because of my fundraising experience, and you know, I'd done some fundraising for other organizations too. Um, you know, I was brought on to make some money. So I took that very seriously that I was recruited for as a fundraiser. Right. Um, I thought, you know, I'm not going to be able to stay on this board if I don't raise, raise money. So I came up with a fundraiser that cost us a little bit of money. Um, so I think that was, there was some reluctance, but... Then it became a very successful fundraiser for us. We did a deck of cards where we had a local artist do each card in the deck. And so it was completely unique Athens art deck of cards. And we had a thousand of them printed, a thousand decks, and we sold them uh, and made $20,000. Wow. Uh, which was incredibly successful fundraiser. Right. I, I have to say, I'm, I have not done nearly as successful a fundraiser since then. That was... We just knocked it out of the park with that one. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and so um, you were on the board. I was on the board, and, and my friend Hope was the artistic director at the time. And then uh, I started getting, you know, just more involved. I started out as board secretary. Mm -hmm. I mean, when they, like they immediately gave me a, a, you know, take your notes. Yeah. A position. And then shortly after that became vice president. And then, um, you know, uh, around that time, hope was having a scale back because she, you know, was, was, it was a part-time job, and she was working all these other part-time jobs. And it was just becoming a lot. So she wanted to scale back. She still wanted to be involved. So um, I then became gallery manager for about six months. Um, and this is now uh, the middle of 2013, I guess, at this point. June, okay. June yep. 2013. And so I started as gallery manager. Um Hope kind of skills back and back. And then she decides that she's going to resign because she's just, she can't devote the time to it. And, um, but is very enthusiastic about me taking her place. But I really didn't have experience running a gallery. I mean, the same reason I didn't get the job the first time. I didn't have experience. Uh, so, you know, they, they opened the, the position up and re-interviewed for it. And I had a interview again for the position. Um, but at this point, I had raised $20,000 for the organization. <laughs> and that really, that carried a lot of weight. Right. So they thought, you know, if anyone's going to be able to 
keep this place going because that was the main concern was yeah. that like how, we can't even keep this place going you know the rent was going up every year significantly because initially when when Athica opened it was like they didn't pay any rent and now they were paying like for real rent right so just paying the rent and paying the bills every month was you know and then paying someone so we really had to start raising money so they gave me the job and then I became director of Athica in January of 2014. I'm always worried about Athica. You know, it's like the anchor of that whole complex, the Chase Street Warehouses. And my studio's over there. Yeah. There's so many Actually, studios. I would say Canopy is definitely, like, Canopy's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, Athica, I don't know. You know, um, so, so yeah, then I'm director of Athica for two, two years. Um, the end of 2015, the board decides that either I just stay on as an unpaid employee right. or I leave. And um, they didn't even wait for me to make a decision. Uh, they put it to me and I was like, I didn't know what to do. I really, I had planned on, I had a three-year plan for Athica. Mm-hmm. And so I had another year of my plan. Right. And so, you know, it was really hard for me. I felt like I was leaving something incomplete. Right. Um, and I'd really, I'd been, I was so proud of my work that I did there. And I felt like our outreach was really great. We were doing such interesting programming and we were doing it all with nothing. In- agreed. There was so, so much stuff going on during There's that time. There was a lot of stuff was... going on. And I was promoting the, the heck out of it. That was the big thing is that, you know, we were really he- relied heavily on social media and, you know, press. I tried to make sure we were always in the local paper. Right. And we almost always were. Um, and that was, you know, and that was a lot of work. I mean, I was putting in like a good 60 hours a week. Yeah. Um, but I loved it. I mean, I loved it. And everyone thought I was crazy because I was making, um, what was I making? Like $1,200 a month. <clears throat> it was in the flagpole. Yeah. Was, I read, yeah, I read the, the article pole. about yeah, this and I was 15, like, they put her salary in the flagpole. Like, and I was making 15, <laughs> 15,000 a year. Oh my God. Uh, working full time. And, uh, but I loved it. I loved it. But yeah, I think there was a, a mis- I, mean, I don't think people knew how little money I was making. Yeah. Well, I and mean, then, that's what I saw. And I was like, well, good for the flagpole because yeah. that's criminal. Yeah. yeah. And, and the fact that the board said that was too, that was too much money to raise every year. Mm-hmm. Um, that they didn't want to be responsible for raising that money every year. And they weren't, they weren't raising that money. <laughs> uh, I was raising probably about two thirds of what we were bringing in. Um, so of course when I, when I left, cause of, okay, so they, they basically gave me this very strange ultimatum that felt just like a betrayal basically. Um, and it was just, it just felt like a real kick in the teeth after putting in so much work and being and willing to put in so much more, you know? Right. Um, cause I really just wanted to keep it growing and I knew the only way to do that was with hard work. And since you've left, there's been no director. Is that what's happening? Yeah, there's, there's no, no. They have like a em- vol- they have a volunteer coordinator, and they have a vol- you know volunteers and the board. Right. And so I, I mean, I don't really know much about their current operation. I haven't I haven't set foot in the building since because um, then they terminated my position. So then there was just we're not going to have a director. Right. And um, 
you know, that was a really hard time for me. That was a really depressing time because I, I wanted to keep doing what I was doing, but I didn't have my space anymore. Right. Yeah. So, so then it's like, what do I do now? Well, <laughs> looks like you found lots of stuff to do. Um, it's kind of shocking. Um, the amount of things that you're up to. I, I joke that spite is an incredible motivator. <laughs> it's not a joke. It's, what do they say? Living well is the best revenge, I right? Mean, I, yeah, I just wanted to... I mean, it's like, okay, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I could be doing it for you, or I'll just do it for, you know, for everyone else. Yeah. So... So, but now you work for another institution locally. You're working for the Athens Cultural Affairs Commission? Yeah, that's true. That's the city, right? That's the city, yeah. Okay. Um, So, the big project with the Cultural Affairs Commission over the past couple years has been um, creating a public art master plan. Okay. And that is finished and being voted on March 7th. Okay. Next week. So, next week's a big week for. Athens Public Art. I saw there was some kind of open meeting that you could come to about this. Yeah, there's, um, well, the actual voting uh, at, you know, at the planning office, that's open to the public. So, you know, people can go and show their support and voice their support of the plan um, if they want to, or just write a letter. You know, we've been asking people to write letters of support of the public art master plan. And where do they write the letter to? uh, To their commissioner or to the mayor or both. So I was going to ask you about TV galleries. So you were running your own kind of gallery. What's happening with that? So I started started a virtual gallery, basically, because I wanted to keep, you know supporting my artists that I that I you know had relationships with through the gallery. I wanted to do do a little bit more because I I didn't think they were getting the promotion that they needed. So I basically created a you know a website and a Facebook page, Instagram where I would just show regional artists just show their work. Are you um, still doing studio feed. visits with people with that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, of course now that I'm about to open a brick and mortar space. Yes. It's kind of it's kind of transitioning. So I'm kind of moving away from that a little bit just because I just don't think I can do. So you're kind of pulling those. that. So I was wondering that I'm kind of rolling that into um, my new brick and mortar space. The new, which is trio. The trio, which we're sitting in. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> before we get into trio, which I'm very excited about, yeah. which is one of the main reasons that I wanted to talk to you today, I do want to talk about what what other galleries are open up. You said there's other galleries around town. Well, I was mentioning the Finishing School oh. and, of course, ours. But, okay. Um, but I know that there's, there is a desire to have more spaces, so I wouldn't be surprised if there were some other spaces in the works too. I just think about my long history with Athens and all the galleries that I've seen come and go sure which is in terms of commercial galleries so yeah you know Athens has always had the restaurants and the coffee shop scene sure. where if you're a painter and you're just starting out it's a great place to yeah. show your work but like in terms of like the contemporary art world mm-hmm. uh, you know there was the Mercury Gallery right. there was the Clayton Street Gallery downtown right. for a right. while there was a uh, trace um, in the Chase one. Street where that was the one on the corner. Okay, um, they had some cool shows there. It was tiny, 
But so cool. it seems like these galleries yeah, come and go, go, and they'll yeah. be. And you know what we're talking about is commercial galleries. So yeah. you're trying to, you have to, as, as opposed to Athica, which doesn't really have to sell art, right. or, you know, because right. they're a nonprofit and right. museums and th- this kind of gallery, you really have to make money to stay open. You have to sell the work. Right. Yeah. No. Um, and Trio actually will not be a traditional commercial gallery. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's kind of an interesting model. So. My uh, my very good friends, uh, Lalea Taylor and Carolyn Christ, who are the owners of Pixelant Inc., which is an art uh, reproduction, photo restoration, printing, fine art printing uh, business here in town, they're looking to expand their business. So they've been on the hunt for a larger space. And then this building um, opened up and obviously it needs a lot of work. So because we were willing to do a lot of the work that it needed, we got a very good deal in this space. Um, so they, um, they're renting this whole building, and the downstairs is going to be their production area and their business. Um, so they're going to have all their printers. They're going to do framing here. Um, basically, full-service like fine art printing downstairs okay. and retail space. The very downstairs, the basement area that used to be a DIY music venue is still going to be a music and event space um, called the Revolution Room. And uh, they have our friend Jim Wilson is going to be managing that space downstairs and doing recording and things down there. So and you then, said this was a music space before. Yeah, the um, downstairs was kind of like a DIY punk music venue. So like when the bars close, someone would roll a keg over here and you know, and they'd have bands here all night until dawn. So it wasn't an it was a, like private space. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't. Yeah, it was it was it was the secret squirrel. Secret yeah. squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> um and then the upstairs was just like dudes lived up here and you know, hung out up here. And, and that's <laughs> so, where we're sitting so That's now. where we're sitting. We've been sitting in this little nook over here. Um, so what is the square footage of this? Um, well, this whole floor is about 2,100 square feet. Um, and a big part of that is those two studio rooms in the back that are going to be rented. So it's, I guess, so two. two so the two studio rooms are the ones you said are going to be a photographer yeah, space. Yeah, a, a photography studio back there. And then, um, so this main space and then the two smaller rooms, hence trio. So it's three, ah. three women uh, kind of running the gallery. Um, and then three rooms, and there's three floors to the building, so it was just three, three, three. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, so the idea was that, you know, Pixel and Inc. wanted to have a gallery up here. When they looked at the building, they were like, this would be perfect for a gallery, but we don't want to run a gallery. You know, we have our hands full. But Tati needs a gallery. <laughs> <laughs> so let's hire Tati to come and run the gallery for us. And, uh, but yeah, they did a lot of work in terms of, like, the whole place needs the new drywall, and the ceilings need to be finished, and the floors need to be redone, and so... A lot. There's a lot, but it's going to be amazing. 
I see it. I envision it. So you guys are still in the cleanup phase here. There's like some phase. like pieces so doing, of doors yeah, laying around yeah. and insulation and trash bags. Right. The downstairs is kind of the first priority, the, the ground floor, because they want to move in here as soon as possible and be able to start working. Okay. There's leftover stuff up here, some a roller skate. Yeah, Nashville, Nashville uh, soundtrack. Soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> some so. overheated vinyl. Yeah, there's, there's, there was some really random stuff in here. A lot of <laughs> bottle caps. Like a lot of bottle so, caps. So can we walk into the downstairs? Sure. Let's check it out. The staircase is probably my favorite yeah, so you said you took the door off of took, yeah, the bottom of the staircase. To open it up because that was the entrance into the gallery, and it was like a, a kind of a short door, so that would limit the size of the artwork you could bring in here. So now we have a lot more, more options. And what is this? And then this little space is going to be kind of um, an auxiliary gallery space, sitting area, retail space, sort of a multi-use space. Okay. Um, it's got the window. So it's like a little foyer. Yeah. And there's. And then this is like the main lobby. Because this is going to be the door of the gallery. That's the door to the downstairs venue. And then this is, um, you know, Pixelmate Studio. This is a so big space. A what is this space. space over here that we can see into out, this is outside? This actually storage for Starlight Showroom next door. Okay. We're, uh, we're in between two vintage furniture stores. Yeah, um, so I also saw that you really like antiques. Is this going to be a danger for you to be uh, in between? <laughs> yeah, right? Um, actually, it's pretty cool because both uh, Vic is super excited about us being here, and he is overflowing in his space. And he's got, like, two storage units, like, over there, like little um, like shipping container type things for right. stuff. So he's going to help us furnish the place. Oh, man. Because this way he could just send people, oh, there's a chair over there. He'll, like, go, go next Sweet. door. Oh, so and it'll so be, still can, be for sale. Yeah, it'll be still be for sale. And this way we'll have stuff for the gallery, stuff for down here. I love this. And it'll probably change, too. You know, especially if people buy things, they'll go, okay, we'll go get some new chairs and new coffee table. Yeah, so awesome. I get to shop without shopping. Yeah, so that, yeah that's the best kind. Shop without yeah. spending money. And one thing that I feel like we really have to address is the Golden Girls. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So huge um, influence in my life. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, that first post you made and you were like, anybody who knows me knows that <laughs> this is a special day it's in a, my life. It's really, I mean, that was kind of like, sorry about the election. Here's something to kind of dull the pain a little bit. Golden Girls. <laughs> Golden Girls. And, you know, so I actually... When I knew I was going to be talking to you, I had to like revisit the Golden Girls because I didn't. I did watch them in my youth. Yeah. So I looked, and this show runs from 1985 to yeah. 92. Yeah. So for me, this is high school. Okay. I was 85 to 89 was my high school years, okay. and also my heaviest TV watching years. Okay. Because I was in high school, sitting at home, watching a lot of MTV. Um, my and, whole life is my heaviest TV watching oh yeah? years. You're I'm a big TV, TV person. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, the, probably my one of my biggest cruxes is that I, I'm a hor I've become a horrible reader. I used to be a really avid reader, 
my youth, even all through college, I read a lot. And then after college, I really got so lazy. I, I have stacks. I have so many books that I've started and not finished or just bought and not even started. <laughs> I have friends that write books. Oh I have friends that write books and they, I mean, and I don't even read them. I'm horrible. I'm the worst reader. But I, if they had a TV show, I would watch the shit out of it. I guarantee you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I have a, 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 a sordid history. Like, I I think when I was in college, it was very uncool to watch TV mm-hmm. um, in the 90s. Like, yeah. it was a thing that you didn't have a TV. Sure. Um, and, and it was a rebellion from, like, the high, the 80s, which was all about TV. Yeah, just consumer culture. Constant. Yeah. I, I think just growing up as the only child of a single parent, I spent a lot of time by myself and so TV was kind of my company always and I I mean I can't remember a time even when I started working as a you know when I started painting and doing art and I guess I got into painting when I was in high school I always had the TV on while I was working Hmm. and that's still how I work that's crazy I have TV on instead of music oh I have music because I actually find music more distracting I usually listen to music while I'm like cleaning or doing something like that or in the car, but yeah, I can't, I can't listen to music while I'm working, but I can watch TV while I'm working. That's and interesting. I'll, and I'll watch things that I've watched, you know, a million times, like the office or something. Yeah. So that's funny because I tell my students that <laughs> they should really listen to, if they're going to listen to music, it should be something they're super familiar with. Cause I right. have the same thing. Like I don't want to listen to a new album while I'm painting. Right, because you're going to be trying to you focus, focus yeah. on the work, but right. you just want something that like puts you on autopilot. Right. Um, so it's really interesting that TV does that for you, and you can kind yeah. of just tune it out, because I, I can't. If the TV's on, I have to like look at it. I guess all those sitcom families became like family members to me, so it's just like having family around. And the Like Golden Dan Girls. and Roseanne, and, oh, and yeah. you know, Nanny Fine, and like, you know, like... <laughs> All these characters, but yeah, the Golden Girls. So the Golden Girls are, I I love this, that I can talk about the Golden Girls. So this is my first podcast episode. They're everything that I could possibly ever want to talk about. Like, you know, I took the podcast thing at the Linden House from the Kindercore guys, and they were saying there was a guy who does a podcast, and all he does is talk about Goodfellas. So he does dissects it one minute by minute. Like he just watches one minute of Goodfellas and then they have a round table chat about it. And that's his podcast. Amazing. So I was thinking you could do that with Golden Girls. I could do that. Definitely. And and it's, it's funny rewatching it now and rewatching them, you know, one after the other binge watching them. Uh, (laughs) You really like, first of all, the show holds up. Right. It was so ahead of its time. And some of the jokes I'm like, God, you know, their humor is pretty body, especially yeah. for like old ladies, late eighty, you know, late eighties uh, network TV. It's kind of surprising some of the jokes that they make, and of course, they went over my head as a kid. Most right. of them, all the good jokes, um, right? But and, and all the references, you know, that's the other thing. Like all the references to old movie stars and stuff. Of course, I know these references because I've I've learned them because you know. You know, you do research so you understand the jokes. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm kind of an old lady by heart. I love old movies yeah. and old, you know, actors and actresses. But these ladies, so there's like, there's four of them living four in the them house. Living and together. They're all, you know, I was, 
I'm looking at them as like archetypes. So you could get really right. deep with this. Sure. You could go like, sure. you know, there, well, there's, you know, okay. So you have Sophia, who's the mom. She's just sort of the, you know, she's the old, the old, the, the generation before. Mm-hmm. So she's like the old generation compared to these ladies. Um, it's interesting when she talks about her experiences Even listening to her, like, there's so many times where she talks about how, like, you know, her husband having sex with her when she's asleep and stuff like that. And it's like, it's like, that's rape. But it's like, there's so many, like, times where she just casually brings up being raped. Uh, Like, and and just, like, she's, I saw it. Or she's just like, oh, in Sicily, it was hard to get across the street without getting pregnant. You know, it's just like, wow. I saw, I watched that episode about it. And the other one of the other ladies is like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, the streets were narrow. And every and people and drank a lot. Or people something. drank a, a yeah, lot of wine. There was a lot, a lot of, of drinking, wine. and yeah. the streets were narrow. Yeah. And I was like, man. <laughs> so, which one is your favorite out of the ladies? You know, for a long time, I was a, you know a Blanche, but I think Sophia is really my favorite. Yeah, she's kind of like this great culmination of all of them. You know, she's really funny. She's sassy like Dorothy. She's she's a little vampy like Blanche. Really, when she talks about her younger years. And, you know, she, she's an old lady, so she's kind of ignorant to stuff like Rose is sometimes. Right. You know, she has that kind of old generation ignorance to things. You know, Dorothy's like, interesting to me because she's a New Yorker. She's a New Yorker. So I've always had that fascination. And she's probably, you know, the one that's considered like the, the you know, the more the feminist one, you know, the more outspoken one. But, I mean, I don't, I don't, think, I don't I mean, think she's any more. I think they're all... I think they're all good feminists. You know? Yeah, it's that's the thing. It's like watching that, and then watching some of the shows from the '90s. Like the Golden Girls were so way ahead of the yeah ahead of the curve. Well, I mean, they're kind of you know, it's a show. It's it's like Sex in the City, but with like older ladies. Right. So it's mm-hmm. already way above Sex in the City in that respect because yeah, it's just like they have the experience and. You know, so they've seen they've seen a lot. They've seen everything, right? And just even seeing an older woman as a sexual being like that, right, is so that advanced. was way ahead of its time. Yeah, they were all sexually active. Even Sophia was, right. you know, had boyfriends. <laughs> but Sophie, the actress that played Estelle Getty, she's like this. Is she like the same age as the other actresses? She's she playing a lot was older. The, she was the second youngest. Okay, Lee McClanahan was the youngest, and then Estelle Getty was the second. Second one, and then um, I think B. Arthur was the oldest. Okay, and so Betty White was the only one who's still alive. As the third was the third oldest. Oh my gosh! Um, of course, I but love yeah, Betty I read White. I read a really funny thing about how <clears throat> Estelle Getty apparently, you know, that she was already playing old, older than she was, and then like after the first season, she took her money and got a facelift and came back <laughs> even younger looking, and they were like, "You're killing us." <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, I love her in this show. I'm, you know, as I was looking through it in terms of like thinking about the South, so we've got Blanche. Yeah. Who's like, plays this Southerner who's got a very weird Southern accent. I always yeah. say people have these like fake Southern accents. On and she's TV. from, she's supposed to be from Georgia. She's from Atlanta. She's from Atlanta. And yeah. I, She's supposed to be from a plantation. Yeah, she's like she's like Scarlett O'Hara, you know. But yeah, a modern day Scarlett O'Hara. She's Baptist, right? And she, but she works in an art museum, and she works in an art museum. So when I read, okay, I was like, (laughs) so this is the character that I need to discuss on this podcast. So she works in an art museum. 
I've watched a few and she's episodes. very progressive sexually. I yes. Mean, she's very open about her sexuality. Her whole thing is about sex. So I recorded a couple of clips okay. that we can watch and talk about because I got yes. really into this Golden Girls it. thing. I love it. So we, could, we could do a whole separate Golden Girls podcast. We really could. <laughs> so there's two that I have. One, the first one, let's look at this because it was about the art gallery. Okay. So I was like, oh man, we're going to be talking about art galleries. I'm going to try if she works at a museum, but I really couldn't find that many episodes where there was talk about her job yeah. at the museum. Yeah. There was this episode about Laszlo. Yes. Do you remember Laszlo? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, the artist that um, paint, yeah, paints them, right? So he's like a, I think he's Hungarian yeah. sculptor. Yeah. And he wants Blanche to pose nude for him, which right. she's super into. Of course. And then he basically gets all of the ladies to pose nude for right. him, which is a whole, you could spend a whole time talking about <laughs> The whole, as a feminist, like, right. they're super excited about posing nude for this artist. Yeah. But right. then he turns out to be gay at the end. Oh, I that's, didn't see that. Oh, oh right, right. That's yes, right. He then, is. Because he has his... Right. And then his, his boyfriend walks up and... Right. <laughs> so, very interesting because, you know, the whole woman is object. All right. Here's the sure. little clip that I... Okay. That sure sounded as if you and Laszlo have something going. Maybe. You're not telling us? Oh, all right, all right. I twisted my arm. Girls, Laszlo's asked me to pose for one of his sculptures. You're kidding. No, I'm not. Look here. He gave me the key to his building. Oh. I have my first session with him tomorrow morning. Oh. Yeah, well, he says he's always wanted to do a piece on the mature woman, and he thinks I'm just perfect for it. And the best part is, he's going to have it displayed at his big show at the museum. Oh, I can't believe you're actually going through with this. But of course I am, Rose. Laszlo is a world-famous sculptor. This is my opportunity to be immortalized forever in a classic work of art. <laughs> That's exactly what she said when that shoe salesman took Polaroids of her in the back seat of his Valari. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, right. this is hilarious to me. <laughs> And, you know, like you said, their relationship as women mm-hmm. is super interesting because they're very supportive of each other. Yeah. Like, there's no... It doesn't seem like there's any cattiness. Like, they're very honest, but they're kind of like sisters. Yeah. You know, um, they. I love that they have this kind of, like, you know, she's making the crack about the... The guy with the Polaroids right. in the back of the sure. car. Like, it's kind of mean. <laughs> yeah. The way they react to each other a lot of they times. They slut shame her a lot. Yeah. They really do. They, um, but I mean, you know, it's... I mean, that's a lot of the humor of the show is making fun of Blanche's, you know, bed hopping. Yeah, totally. Um, but this... And so you mentioned earlier when we were talking about this idea of like talking behind people's back, which I have a thing as a southerner. I get, like, you know, I'm always defending New Yorkers because I feel like when I was up north, up north, there was, like, if somebody hated you, they would just tell you to your face. Right. Which at first is very unsettling. Yeah. And, but now I kind of really appreciate that. Yeah. And I get really annoyed with the kind of circular conversations that you kind of offhandedly brought up as like as a southerner you, yeah. you have to like do the catch more flies with honey thing totally like you know you totally. you're going to be overly sweet which the other which people is, expect you to be like when you're when you're frank with people they go oh that's because she's you know she's a northerner <laughs> you know? 
that yeah. sort of thing. So I've I'm been like, getting, tell me how you really feel right? in a sarcastic way a lot lately. And I'm like, no, but I will tell you how <laughs> you I really feel. You know how I really feel. <laughs> yeah. I'm sugarcoating it. So yeah. it's, and this is a, another, the other clip I picked was actually about that. Okay. Um, so let's check. That's it? That's why we couldn't sit on the couch for two days? No, I have to have dinner with us or not. Why, is that baby still here? Yeah, well, they're still at the hospital. It's taken a little longer than they thought. Blanche, your sister seemed very nice. She was nicer than she's ever been. She was interesting, charming, caring, lovely. Just couldn't have been more wonderful. I just wonder what she wants, the conniving little witch. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one. She wanted a kidney. Yeah, she she yeah. she actually she actually did want she something. She totally wanted. So something. Blanche was correct. Yes. And the whole time, all of her roommates were like try, trying to be so nice and understanding. Yeah. Like, what's wrong? Your sisters come to visit. She's such a nice person. Why do you hate her? Right. And then because she knows her, she knows her really well, <laughs> and she actually wants to take her kidney right. from her. Yeah, it's pretty serious. <laughs> I want your organs. Yeah. Oh, um, man. Tatiana, thanks so much for having me in your new space. I really enjoyed talking to you. Love talking to you. Always. Thanks, Vivian. Okay, y'all. Well, that was a lot of fun. You can find more info about the Trio Gallery on their Instagram or Facebook page. That's Trio, T-R-I-O. And you can also find links on my website where P.G. Keen is located, that's Vivian Liddell, V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D-E-L-L dot com. This Thursday, I'll be interviewing another Athenian artist, Melissa Lynn Lee, about her work and involvement in the Athens area art scene. So stay tuned for that in another week or so. Thanks for listening. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes. Lots of good stuff coming your way. <laughs> <laughs>